my venues are, you know, my life. They're everything. They put a roof over our kids' heads. They feed my kids. They're, they're everything. And it's not just a job. Like, it can't be. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Sydney's population is well over 5 million now and the depth and breadth of dining spreads far and wide. On the outer limits of Sydney, Penrith has a huge population and its dining scene has evolved rapidly in the last decade thanks to some savvy operators. Jessica Jenkins is the co-owner of Mr Watkins and Elton Chong in Penrith. Jessica, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Huck? Good. It's great to get you on the show. You guys are doing some pretty amazing things out there in Penrith. What's it like out there at the moment? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, It's just changed so much in the last six years. Uh, We opened Mr Watkins just about six years ago in November. Um, And when we originally opened, there wasn't much on the high street. And yeah, as I said, in the last six years, it's just evolved into a really vibrant scene, actually. It's been a tricky couple of years, as we all know. But what's what's the sort of um, dining scene like now, um, a few years on? Uh, look, it's um, yeah, COVID wasn't easy on anyone, but I think we are in a fantastic community. Everyone really rallied behind us, uh, and we managed to get through it uh, pretty unscathed. Um, now it's just, yeah, it's exploded. There's, you can find everything here. We've got a great little modern uh, Mexican restaurant down the road. We've got a rooftop bar. Uh, there's another little speak easy, easy that's just uh, recently opened. Yeah, there's just great diversity and lots for people to do out here. Tell us a little bit about your venues. Um, you've got a couple there. What, what, give us a bit of a sort of a spiel on what you're doing. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Watkins is a cafe by day. Uh, so he trades seven days, uh, open from six o'clock in the morning um, and just, you know, really great cafe fare. It's um, comfortable. Uh, we want people to feel really comfortable in there. Um, by night, it's a bar and restaurant. Uh, so we do Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights at Mr. Watkins. Um, and it is, yeah, a beautiful bar. We've got a very extensive cocktail list, wine list, um, food sort of sharing styles. Um, but it's, yeah, just we just wanted a place that people could go to and feel comfortable and, and enjoy time with their loved ones is it is there challenges you know with a venue like that that's a cafe by day and sort of more of a drinking and eating um uh establishment at night is it challenges in sort of making that sort of seamless those different offerings in the same menu um it Look, originally we wanted two revenue streams. That was the whole idea behind it. We wanted something that we we wanted a bar, um, but we knew that, you know, we are still in sort of suburbia. So we knew that we wouldn't get crazy trade, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. Um, So we wanted something where we could bring in a little bit of money on the other days. Um, And we've set it up. So it is like a speakeasy. There's a little sort of section at the front with the coffee machine and baked goods and whatever. And then you walk through a door and out the back, it opens up into this beautiful bar. Um, So we, we always wanted that. We've always run it as two not two separate businesses, but we've got a team that runs the cafe and we've got a team that runs the bar and restaurant by night. night. Yeah, so um, we've got 
you know, a couple of cafe chefs during the week that, you know, do all the cafe food and the cafe prep. And then we've got a team at night that come in and do um, all the food at night. Um, We've got a bar manager um, and a restaurant manager. Um, So that's sort of how we've navigated that. It was a little bit hard in the beginning because we never wanted to use the dining room for the cafe. Um, We wanted to to just be sort of grab and go, really easy, um, you know, ham and cheese croissants. And we do these things called bread pies. And we just wanted to keep it... Um, yeah, grab and go. But as the years went on, the demand grew and we've got a full cafe menu now. Um, the cafe does really well. It does better than the bar some weeks. Um, so, um, yeah, it's got a great little following and heaps of regular customers. Um, so, yeah, we've always sort of run it separately the kitchen's big enough to do that Thursdays and Fridays it gets a little bit hectic in there because there's cafe chefs and there's dinner chefs they're all doing their prep and running around um but it yeah no it it works for us it's always worked for us yeah most of our guests have detailed the challenges of finding staff during the last couple of years with with a setup like that with sort of the your cafe crew and your restaurant crew have you had challenges getting staff to sort of have those teams full Um, To be honest, we've been really lucky. Uh, We've got a lot of staff that have been with us for a really long time. Um, We've got people that have started from the bottom and are now managing the restaurant. Um, We've got just, we've just been really lucky. I think also because we work in the businesses. So I am in the cafe. Uh, Rod, who's one of the other co-owners, is in the restaurant every night. Um, And Wayne, who's my husband, he runs our other venue, Elton Chong. So we're in the nitty gritty of it all, you know, we clean bathrooms, we do whatever we have to do. Um, so I think it's been easy for us to attract good staff and keep them because uh, we're not afraid to do what they do. So, yeah, no, we've, we've been really lucky. And I think out here there's just so many people. People don't want to travel to the city to work anymore. Um, they want to stay close to home. They don't want to waste time on the train. Um, so, yeah, no, we've got some great staff out here. We're really lucky. You mentioned uh, your husband, Wayne Jenkins, who's a chef, and he's looking after the dive bar that you have. Tell us a bit about the what, what goes on there. Oh, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit crazy over here. <laughs> Um, it's look, we wanted something totally different to Watkins. Watkins is like, um, the big brother. It's, um, a little bit more sophisticated. Um, it looks a little bit more sophisticated. The food is, um, over at Elton Chong, we wanted something, uh, that was a bit left of center, uh, a little bit fun. Uh, we have a lot of like heavy metal and live music over here as well. Um, and that just didn't really fit in at Mr. Watkins. Uh, so when we, orig- we actually opened in between lockdowns, which was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. We didn't see the second lockdown coming. So I think we did about four months and then we were locked down again. Um, so it's, it's evolved a little bit over here, but it, it's, there's graffiti all over the walls. People uh, come in and sharpies and write all over the walls. So there's all like messages everywhere. Um, we've got some gaming machines, uh, a pinball machine uh, and it's just chill like it's just anyone can come here um, anyone can feel comfortable here uh, it, the foods uh, like loaded fries and you know cheeseburger spring rolls and great burgers and po' boys and all that sort of stuff so it's um, a little bit more relaxed and I think it's yeah, just for for everyone, we wanted live local musicians and original bands as well. Um, so we're just trying to 
um, create a space for those bands where they can come in and play on a Saturday night, not to a massive venue either. Um, so they don't have to, you know, feel daunted by packing out the place. Um, they get to sell tickets, so they make the money on the door. Um, we've got uh, another local company that comes in and does all the sound for us. Uh, so, yeah, we just wanted a space for the locals uh, so they didn't have to go into the city to go to a, you know, crazy dive bar. Well, I want to explore sort of in detail what you guys are doing there, but take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Uh, So I'm of Italian background. Both my parents are Italian, um, and it was always a big part of my life. Um, My parents are both Sicilian, so more peasant Italian, southern Italian food. So pasta with – you put pasta with anything. Um, But all our celebrations revolved around food. Um, My uh, paternal grandfather uh, had acreage, so grew prickly pears and had massive orange trees and lemon trees and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I remember as a kid just, you know, picking oranges straight off the tree or, um, you know, wandering uh, through the lemon trees. So it was just – I've always loved food as well. I've never been a picky eater. Um, I My day rev- used to revolve around what I would eat. Um, like, yeah, I've just, I've always been really into it and not scared of any, my mum always said that. She said, you've always eaten anything, oysters from a really small age. Like you just, yeah. So it's, um, it's always been a massive part of my life. Um, my dad's parents were into making, you know, Italian sausages and they grew all their own veggies and out of, I don't know if it was just, you know, World War II era that they were frugal and wanted to save money or they just really enjoyed it. Um, But, yeah, I've just always been around food um, and I I love it. I love it. Always have. (laughs) (laughs) From from your experiences, tell us a little bit about Sicilian food. Is there any sort of dishes or feasts that you remember fondly from growing up? Yeah, so we, for us, um, we make arancini. Um, My my grandmother, my mum's mum, used to make them and she had these really little hands so she could, you know, form these perfect arancini. Um, And that was always a celebration because there's so many of us um, and it's such a fiddly food, like, you know, you're painstakingly making every individual one. Um, It was reserved for special occasions. Um, So that that was definitely when you... You know, generally not Christmas, sometimes more like Easter time she would do it. Um, and, yes, yeah, before she passed away, she actually taught me because she was like, oh, you have small hands too. You can you can make – you'll be able to make these. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we, you know, we, we – mum still does them every now and again and, you know, it's a family affair. We'll all go over and help her um, make the arancini. But, yeah, that's a that's a big one for us. Um, Gudaruni as well, which is like a pizza. It's like a calzone but a flat one. Um, so we make those with like braised onions and broccoli, a bit of salami in there. That's another Easter one. Um, but yeah, any any sort of any celebration was all about the food. That's the biggest conversation we have before the celebration. So yeah, was a career in hospitality something that you always envisaged? Um, not really. Um, my 
Oh, look, I've, uh, dad was, my dad was like an accountant basically, um, but he always, they had a small business. Um, so I grew up on the Northern Rivers. Um, so I had a very free sort of childhood and my parents were very Westernised. They're not very Italian. So we were, um, they weren't very strict with us. Um, so dad was mad into espressos and, you know, he used to, we used to go to cafes and he'd get up behind the machine and make his own ristretto because they couldn't make it up there the way he wanted it sort of thing so um it was always around us my auntie used to be a hostess um at a restaurant in Parramatta called La Bella Vista and I think they had like the first espresso machine in Parramatta um back in the day and we used to go there and she'd be you know walking around in her dresses and you know um like meeting and greeting all the customers and seating them and all that sort of stuff and I just I just loved it I was so enamored by the energy in the space um and then I sort of did a bit of cafe work and I went to work for her after I finished high school after I did my HSC um and then I was like oh yeah I could do this I I love it like you know all these crazy people in one space it's awesome um and then I went and did a bit of marketing and insurance and whatever and um, moved moved overseas to London and I got an admin job and I walked into the office and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is what I want to do in London. I think, I think I'm going to – I want to work with, you know, young people, Brazilians and Spanish and, you know, sort of all that sort of stuff. So I – got the job in admin but I called them in the afternoon I said oh sorry I just look don't think it's right for me and then I started looking on Gumtree for a waitress position or something and I ended up getting yeah I ended up getting a job as a receptionist um, in a fine dining restaurant in the private members club called the hospital in Covent Garden Um, yeah so and it was just it blew my mind because like a receptionist in a restaurant like what are you what are you talking about Um, so I looked after all their reservations and I I was like the coat room girl and, you know, would meet and greet people and seat them at the tables. And that was like, yeah, beautiful, fine dining. The space was just amazing. Um, the most beautiful artwork everywhere and, um, you know, little tables for your handbag and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that just, yeah, I, I fell in love with it. That was it. I was like, I'm, I'm never doing anything else again in my life. Um, so, yeah, it was just incredible. How long did you spend in London? Did you have more uh, experiences with the hospitality over there? Yeah, so I was there for, I think, just over three years. Um, and I worked in this place. Um, but then I came back, it was called Origin at the time, and they would do all the dishes you could do as an entree or a main, basically. So you could um, basically build your own tasting menu. Um, so I was there and the chef proprietor, his name is Adam Byatt, and then he, um, that closed and he opened a small restaurant down in South London in Clapham on the Common. Um, and I came back to Australia for a little bit, um, and then flew back there and I started there, um, with him at Trinity. Um, and it was in its infancy. I think it had been open about six months by the time I got back there. And then I sort of took on a role of, receptionist but then I sort of became a PA as well so um, he taught me the ins and outs of everything um, numbers you know how many covers you need through the restaurant spend per head Um, but it was more than that they taught us everything there we had wine training every Friday afternoon Um, we would have to do kitchen shifts so they would make us go into the kitchen so we could understand what the kitchen team had to go through and their prep and all that sort of stuff Um, I remember we they taught us how to butcher a whole pig 
one day. Like we all went into the kitchen and they were like, all right, this is all the parts of the pig and this is how you, you know, cut it all down. So I just learnt every single facet of running a restaurant um, in that place. Yeah, it was amazing and it was just all about knowledge. Like they just, you know, everyone needed to know everything. You know, the tasting notes of all the dishes were just so involved down to, you know, you set the table with um, this knife, this fork, this spoon. Um, you know, there's these dietaries on on this dish. And, yeah, it was just incredible. I, I was always learning there. It was amazing. Loved it so much. What brought you back to Australia? So I came back because my dad was actually sick. So he um, had cancer for years. He had cancer in his spine. And before I went, to, I wasn't going to go to London. He was like, go, just go, please. You need to live your life. I don't want you to, you know, hold yourself back for me. I'm okay. Go and do your thing. So I went over and then he passed away suddenly. Not suddenly, but it sort of took a turn for the worst um, while I was in London. So I... He passed away while I was there. I was literally packed up my life and on a plane within 12 hours and back to Sydney. Yeah, it was crazy, crazy. So I think I would have stayed there, to be honest. I I love London. Um, There's something for everyone. Um, It's amazing. But I, yeah, he said to me, you know, if something happens, you need to come back. So, yeah, we came back and that was it. We never left again. Well, you came back for sort of traumatic um, reasons, but what what was it like for you after that London experience? How did you settle back in Australia? Oh, it was really hard. So we, I came, I came back, and then I think Wayne followed two weeks later. Um, I then we found out my mum needed a double lung transplant. So, <laughs> and then we found out I was pregnant with my first child. So that was literally within I think about ten weeks. All this happened. Um, so I then. Uh, just sort of set, I, ha- I had to settle back in. It was it was definitely traumatic, um, especially going from living and doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted over in London to coming back here to, you know, um, a sick mother um, and I was pregnant with my first child. Uh, so I nursed her through all that and Wayne went and worked at the Ivy. So he, when they opened Ivy, he was over there. So he was working and I was sort of, you know, caring for mum and getting her through all of that um but you know you you settle back I mean at the end of the day it's home you know so it was fine (laughs) (laughs) what sort of impact did that experience have on you and sort of the way you've approached things after that oh it's just like anything can happen right I think dad passed away when he was 50 and to me now it's like oh my god that like I just turned 40 so it's just so young. I don't think I quite understood because I was a little, they had us very young. So I wasn't super young. Um, but it was just, it's just, you just have to live your life and take the chances. You know, you have to, because you're never going to regret that. You're just going to think about all the what ifs afterwards. So I've always just, yeah, I just dive straight in now, obviously, because, you know, <laughs> three venues later, but yeah. So you mentioned that Wayne uh, started working at the Ivy when you when you returned to Australia. And wh- when did you get back into the hospitality sector? So I ended up looking after mum and sort of nursed her through her lung transplant. And then we, uh, I had Noah, who's now 14. Um, and then I, he was about three months old and I was just a bit, uh, I just couldn't, 
be at home all the time. I'm a very busy person. So I went and worked um, for a friend of mine at, um, I was living in the hills, so Kellyville, and there was this beautiful little neighbourhood Italian restaurant around the corner. Um, and I just went to work there. I'd go there, I'd, I'd you know, feed Noah and mum was at home. So I'd feed Noah, leave him at home with her, and then I'd go do night service um, at this beautiful little Italian restaurant, which I just loved. Uh, GB is the owner. He's still there. They're still there. It's a family-run restaurant. Um, and he's just so hospitable. I think I learnt the hospitality, like he's so hospitable. He just is so warm and he's so accommodating and just people literally come there to feel like they're home, you know, um, and he just he taught me that. Busy place, so busy. Oh, my God, I used to run, you know, like it was crazy. Um, but I just, I loved it. He just taught me that, that side of just, yeah, being really warm. I think it's just so important um, when you have a venue. I think the first time I met both you and Wayne was at Lockheel House when back in the day when I used to review restaurants. I still remember. I still remember that lunch. Um, how, how did how did the Lockheel House project come about? So we were. So Wayne was working at Ivy for Maryvale, and I think he opened Mad Cow, and then he went to the Italian restaurant there, and then he was, you know, wanted to do a bit more chefing, and and um, I Noah was a little bit older; he would have been about two, two and a bit, and we just sort of started looking around, and we were like, oh, you know, we've learnt so much in the last few years, last five, six years. Let's let's do something, and um, I wanted to. I think I was definitely at a place where I was. I thought. I was ready to run my own venue. Um, and we just started looking around and Lockheed House was on the radar and we drove up there and it's just, it's so beautiful up there, up in Currajong Heights. You know, you drive up the Bells Line of Road and it's just, you know, cows everywhere, beautiful produce everywhere. It's just amazing. Um, so we uh, reached out to the guys and we started talking and um, Monique and Tony were that, that I think they, I don't know if they were two, I think they were two hats at the time. I can't remember. Um, and they were just ready to move on. Um, they'd been running this venue at such a high level uh, for so long. Um, they were just ready to move on. So um, we bought Lockheel off them, um, but decided to change it straight away because I think the whole, uh, it was very fine dining, like very fine dining. Um, and that, like, I can do it, but I'm just a little bit more relaxed than that. Um, so <laughs> I was just like, let's, you know, take it down a notch. So we ended up opening for breakfast and brunch and um, dinners. So that was like a trial by fire. That was so intense because it's, you know, how small it is. It's such a small little – we were writing our docket. We didn't even have a pause system. So we would write our dockets and our receipts and everything by hand. Um, and it was – it was beautiful, a great community. Um, they really embraced us as well up there. Um, but it was just full on. Like we did not stop. We would do Thursday. We'd leave Thursday morning and we I basically wouldn't see nowhere until Sunday night because we would be there, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner service, 
everyday, um, you know, 16, 17-hour days. Um, we had a couple of staff members that were amazing, um, but still at the end of the day, it was such a small venue that we had to do a lot of it ourselves. We'd go do the market run, go buy produce. Um, we did everything from start to finish. Um, and it was it was awesome. It was such a great experience for us. We learned so much. Um, but I think we were there for about three and a half years in the end. Um, and then we, I fell pregnant with our second child. Um, and I was just like, I said to Wayne, I said, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do it. We're about to have another baby. Like I, I can't expect mum to look after another baby, you know, four out of the, the seven days a week. Like we can't really do this. Um, so then, yeah, we moved on, moved on from there and, and had a bit of a, a break for a couple of years and then Mr Watkins was born. Just um, with Lockhill House, it's it's such a beautiful small building and such an old building as well. Um, what were the challenges with dealing with that and um, how did you make it work for those years? Oh, massive challenges. It is a heritage listed building. Um, it was 1800s, that building, Be- like beautiful, but creaky like you'd walk through and I'm like I stomp through there and the whole building would shake you know um those floorboards and you know we had a septic tank and you know you couldn't use any chemicals because it couldn't go down into the tank and and you know it was it was small that we could make it work we did grow a bit of our own produce there but even that that was like a whole nother day up there you know Wednesdays would be spent doing the garden and, you know, mowing the lawn and doing all that sort of stuff. So we we made it work. It just had its challenges because of where it is located. You know, we had fires up there, floods, you know, and once that bridge gets gets um, closed, you don't have anyone coming through, you know. Um, there are locals that live there, but a lot of the trade for Lockheel was – people heading up the mountain, you know, they'd stop in for scones or a breakfast or, you know, stop in for dinner on their way home. And it was just, it was really, it was just a const, constant hurdles, you know, um, that you had to overcome all the time um, in that space. Um, but I, uh, you just make, what do you do? You just make it work, don't you? You just do what you got to do. Um, but we loved it. We loved our time there. Um, as I said, and it was super challenging. I learned so much. Um, we Wayne and I worked together very closely for those years. I mean, we still do. Um, but we, you know, we got to do some amazing food up there, amazing wines. Um, it was just, yeah, it's a great space. That garden's beautiful. What positives did you take from that sort of first foray into running your own business? Oh, that it's a freaking hard job. Like, it's a, I don't know if there's a positive, but, you know, you have to give it everything. I think, you know, I, I struggle a lot of the time with balance, you know, a lot of work-life balance, whatever that means. Um, I I definitely don't have that. I think my, my venues are you know, my life, they're everything. They put a roof over our kids' heads. They feed my kids. They're, they're everything. And it's not just a job. Like, it can't be. It's you're constantly thinking about it, constantly, you know, picking things up, ordering things, thinking about how you can change something, you know, staff issues, um, everything. Um, so, I think, yeah, I just, I realised what having your own business means and the responsibility of paying staff and all the other things uh, that come with it. Um, you know, after Lockheed, I was like, I'm not doing this again. Like, there's no way. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it again. Like, you're crazy. And then um, we had an apprentice chef at Lockheed Rod who was amazing. He was a mature age apprentice chef. Um, and he stayed with us for quite a while up there. It would have been at least two years, year and a half, two years. Um, and then uh, he won a Young Apprenticeship Award and um, got a bursary to travel through you know, wherever he wanted to travel to stage and work. And he went over to London and worked in all these amazing, the Ledbury, um, amazing establishments. He was over in so many um, places. And then he got back and um, Wayne was running a little bar in Castle Hill um, called the Crooked Taylor and Rod went was there, went there and he was his sous chef and Rob was like, we know we need to do our own thing. <laughs> and Wayne's like, oh, yeah, you try talking Jess into that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, we have to do our own thing. Let's like, let's start looking around, you know. Um, and we started looking around the hills area, but just nothing sort of worked. The rent was ridiculously high. We just couldn't find a space. Um, and then Rod's a Penrith born and bred, so he has lived in Penrith his whole life. Um, and he was like, let's let's look out in Penrith. I'm like, Penrith. What are you talking about? He's like, seriously, there's nothing out there. Let's go. He's like, if you want to go for a drink, you 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 know, you've got to either go to the pub or Panthers. There's no bars. There's no small bar. There's nothing out there. Um, and we found the space on the high street and found um, our third business, our other business partner. And he was like, yeah, let's let's do it. And we did it. So. <laughs> Well, you guys have been the driving force of the sort of culinary evolution in Penrith ever since then. But um, what's you've got the two venues, but um, you've got something else on the horizon too. Yeah, so we oh, it's 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 here. We started about nine weeks ago now. So um, Harry Hartog Booksellers have opened. Um, a ma- it's the most beautiful bookstore you will ever see. Um, giftware, bookstore cards, wrapping paper, but it's just the attention to detail in the space is unbelievable. So they uh, took over the building next door to Elton Chong, um, and they wanted to put a cafe in there but they don't run the cafes uh, that's not what they do they're booksellers um so we started speaking to them at the end of last year and they'd been into mr watkins and love the vibe of it and you know how it looks and feels and all that sort of stuff and yeah they asked us to run the cafe in the bookstore so we now have another little cafe um right next door to elton chong so that helps um because it's not a hot kitchen in there so um there's certain things we need elton chong's kitchen to be able to do in there um but yeah it's been going absolutely crackers since we opened people just love it it's such a uh feast like for your eye it's just beautiful um it's so sensory but without it being technology you know which is so unusual these days um and it's just yeah amazing and the cafe is just we've got this tiny space it's packed out all the time we have people coming in asking for more tables we're like this is the space we have we don't have any more um and we do like a bit of high tea there it's super ba- like nothing crazy um you know uh, croissants and we've got these beautiful uh, tealish brownies which is a local producer she makes them out at Mount Druitt and um, these beautiful brownies um, pastries and all that sort of stuff and it's just yeah it's I did not expect it <laughs> I was like we staffed it with three of us I'm like we'll be fine three of us like it's tiny we're gonna be fine and the first week we opened we got absolutely smashed and I had to double the staff I was like straight away I'm like shit we need six of us um, and it's been going like that ever since we opened it so yeah no it's great you've um 
you've done some pretty incredible things. What's sort of important when you're running multiple venues like this to sort of get them all right? Look, I think it's it's been a learning curve for me. I think every time we add a venue, it takes me a couple of months to get used to it. The just the like logistics of my time um, because I do so I'm at Watkins a couple of days a week um, and I don't I'm not really in Chong and I'm not up at the Cafe Harry Hartog so but I do all the book work so um, I do all their invoicing and payroll and all that sort of stuff so I'm sort of back end at the, these days um, but it's just about having the right people in each venue, which I really think we have. Um, Rod's down at Watkins all the time, so he's there. As I said, Wayne's at Chong. Um, Tara, who's my sister, who managed Watkins for about six years, she's been there from the beginning, the cafe side of it. Um, So she's now up at Harry Hartog. And I've got um, Marie, who's a very old friend of mine who's been in hospitality forever as well. She's coming as an owner as well at the new cafe. So they're up there. So I don't have to worry about the day-to-day so much we sit down we talk things through if anyone wants to change anything we sort of have our weekly management meetings and talk about all the things that you know are working that are not working um what we can do better what we can take away um so that but i think the it's the people it's always the people in hospitality you need people that you can trust but i think for us as business owners we've always found people that are hospitality people that they want to do this for a career i don't want someone that's like you know doing it when you know just to kind of part time whatever i want someone that wants to be in hospitality that thrives on great customer service that wants to make sure the customer has the best experience possible um that is the most important thing 100 percent. well you guys really are the talk of the town out there in penrith what do you love about what you do i just love the whole people aspect uh to my job i probably don't really need to be in venue much anymore but I make sure I am I still as I said I still do a couple of shifts um in the cafe down at Watkins because I want to feel it and see it and and see what the customers are saying and you know get their account of how they're feeling and hang out with the staff and you know because you don't really know what's going on unless you're there you know you don't really see or feel the dynamics between your staff and if there are any issues or if there's something happening that you know maybe someone won't tell you um so I think for me I just I love I love people I still do it's crazy like I still do I still love people I love um chatting to people I think it's just yeah it's innately part of who I am I get in it like it makes me more energetic to be around people definitely well, uh, Jessica, it's great being around you and we've loved chatting to you today on Deep in the Weeds. Um, look forward to seeing what you do next out there in Penrith. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Anthony. Talk soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.